Well, I invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning once again to Isaiah chapter 9. This is the last week that we will be in Isaiah 9. This morning is our sixth and final meditation in this passage that we began, I think, the first Sunday of December. Maybe we began at the last Sunday. I think it was maybe the last Sunday of November. This is a rich Old Testament prophecy, a rich Old Testament passage that we could spend a lot more time in. I've said that disclaimer more than once, but for the past three weeks, we've been camped out particularly on these titles that are given to the promised child whose coming gives hope to a people walking in darkness. And you'll hear that again as I read the verses that I've read each week. We've been reminded that there is a wonder of a counselor coming. That there is a mighty hero who is God, who is on his way. And then last week we were reminded of the Son, who is also the Father, who exudes that fatherly affection and tenderness that we can only dream of. One more title this morning. You know it's coming, those of you who have been here and been along for the ride. Prince of Peace. So I encourage you to give your attention to God's Word. If you're willing and able, once again, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then jump down to verses 6 and 7. Listen as I read Isaiah chapter 9. Starting at verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. On December 25th, 1863, A 57-year-old father of six by the name of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow sat down to pour out his heart in a poem, a poem that would express much of the tension that he was feeling as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, the tension between the hope of that day promised and his own experience of the past Two years. You see, just two years earlier, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's wife had tragically died at home. Her dress caught fire as he was napping in the other room 
And she succumbed to the severe burns which he was unable to put out when he woke up. Now it was the year 1863. The Civil War had broken out in the United States that weren't so united anymore. And he sat now beside the bedside of his oldest son who had gone off to fight in the war for the Union Army and had been shot as a result and now lay in serious condition. As Henry sat down to write a poem, he heard church bells chiming in the distance. I want you to listen to some of his poem. I won't read the entire thing. It begins this way. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Suddenly he contrasts the mouths of the weapons of warfare, the cannons. Then from each black accursed mouth the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the heartstones of a continent and made forlorn the houses born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I pray that none of us have experienced or will ever have to experience the kind of pain that those words were birthed from. But I know that some of you have. We all experience in some way this tension, this dissonance between the promises of God and what we see all around us, what we experience in our own lives. Whether it just manifests itself in, in inward turmoil, whether it takes an outward manifestation in some way that we cope, we all wrestle with the brokenness of the world that we see around us. And it's why the Prince of Peace, that title, ministers so profoundly to us. At least it ought to. At least I hope it will this morning. You don't even have to be a Christian here this morning to long for to see the need for peace. That's what our hearts need. That's what our hearts want. This morning's message is that the peace that your hearts long for, the peace that your hearts need, can only be found in one place. In Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Three truths for those of you who love to take notes. Three truths for us to meditate on for a few minutes. We could spend a lot more time on each of these, but we're going to go through them quickly. The first one is this. Jesus, born to die, gives us peace with God. Jesus, born to die, gives us peace with God. 
Peace is a big word, right? We use peace in a lot of different ways. I read this quote to you not so long ago, those of you who are regular attenders of Ascension. It's from an author who wrote about this word peace, and he says this, detached from its New Testament, and we we might add this morning, since we're talking about the Hebrew Old Testament word for peace, we might say the biblical context The word peace, detached from that context, is is sort of like a spiritual marshmallow. Remember this quote? Full of softness and sweetness, but without much substance. I don't know about you, but I want a substance. I I want depth. I don't want this this pseudo-peace that just appears when my life is going great. And when there's no conflict at all, I want the kind of peace that can endure conflict. I want the kind of peace that the Bible calls shalom. That's the Hebrew word here. The prince of shalom. Wholeness. Wholeness. No matter what is going on around me. I proclaim to you this morning that that's possible to gain that kind of peace, but it's only possible as you look to Jesus. After all, the angels on the hillside outside of Bethlehem that we sing of, they praised God and they said this, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Now that last phrase is a better translation that with whom He is pleased than the translations of years past. You can actually see, if you have an ESV Bible, you can see the footnote of that earlier translation. Goodwill among men was how it used to be translated. But the angels on the hillside are not proclaiming peace and goodwill among all men. They are proclaiming peace for those, like we spoke about last week, those who claim this God as their Father. Those who look to Him in faith with whom He is pleased, the angels said. See, the message of Christmas is a rescue mission. Colossians says we are alienated from our Maker. We're hostile to Him. Therefore, we're enemies to His kingdom. Romans 5 says, no one wants to have enemies. No one in their right minds goes out looking for conflict and strife. But in our natural state, we are at odds with God Himself. And hopeless to do anything in and of ourselves, God sent His Son born of a woman to bear humanity's curse, literally born to die that we might live. Isaiah 53, 5, He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And I know many of you have heard this a thousand times. But your hearts still struggle to get it. And some of you may be hearing it for the first time. Jesus of Nazareth, celebrated around the world today, was born to die that we might have peace with God. By faith, this is the Gospel. Just believe it. Trust that He is what you need. That He is enough. 
And folks, especially you young people, especially you young people, this isn't a blind faith. We are not talking sugar plum fairies and Santas coming down chimneys. That's not the story of Jesus. No, ours is a reasonable faith. When you go to the doctor, why do you trust what the doctor tells you? Because of his credentials. Because he has that diploma on the wall that says he graduated from the University of Washington. That he graduated from such and such medical school. And therefore you trust him. Look at Jesus' credentials. Ours is not a blind faith. It's in a reasonable faith. He was born. Historical fact. He died on a Roman cross. Historical fact. He rose from the dead. They never found his body. Historical fact. Research it. And if that's true, if Jesus rose from the dead, then everything that came out of Jesus' mouth, everything that was recorded from his life, you've got to deal with. You've got to do something with. Because if Jesus was who he said he was, then everything changes. If you want peace in your life, true peace, you must acknowledge Jesus. You can't say, I want peace, and not start here. You can't have one without the other. Peace begins by believing in Jesus, the Prince of Peace. It all starts with relationship. That's the first thing I want us to think about for a moment. The second is this. Jesus, born to abide, offers us inner peace. Not just does Jesus, born to die, give us peace with God. Yeah, that's the foundation for everything. But then Jesus, born to abide, offers us inner peace. We, we move from that first truth, which is really objective reality. Here we delve into kind of the more subjective realm. But it still has an objective answer. Right? To varying degrees, we all have this churning in our hearts as the result of changing circumstances around us. We all do. Sometimes we're good. Sometimes we're not so good. But the Apostle Paul and the Bible proclaims that there's a mindscape. Right? We've heard of landscapes. There's a mindscape. There's a way of thinking, despite whatever may be swirling on around you, that can give us peace. I mean, our behavior is a result of our thought process, of something we are believing, right? Even criminals, for the heinous acts they do, they have motives, right? Investigators try to determine the motives for particular crimes. Proverbs 23.7 says this, more literally than the ESV. This is the New American Standard. It says, as he thinks within himself, so he is. And so you know all the verse, you know the verse. It's been a balm for many of your souls. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but through prayer with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. We just studied the book of Philippians recently, so we don't need to deep dive into this verse. We don't have time to do it anyway. But this peace, this kind of peace, we all want it. We all need it, but it can be elusive at times, can it? 
And yet Jesus came to bring this kind of peace. It's a peace that must be cultivated. It takes time. You can't rush this kind of peace. You've got to work at it. It takes silence. It takes solitude. It's one of the hardest things to get. Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 91, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Dwelling in the shelter. Abiding in the shadow. What does that communicate? It communicates that Jesus has not left you alone. That He is still with you. That He came to abide in you. And you in Him. And so that anxiety that we feel that wants to control, Jesus says you don't need to control it. I came to be with you. I came to walk you through whatever circumstances you're experiencing. And so let that anxiety drive you to me. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4, you will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, the prophet says. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The church father Augustine once wrote, You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless unless it rests in You. That's the invitation this morning from the Prince of Peace. Not just born to die that you might know peace with God, born to abide that you might have inner peace. And then finally, one more reality. Jesus, born to rule, brings peace to the universe. Jesus, born to rule, brings peace to the universe. We've talked about the context in which the prophet wrote this passage. The context of Israel was one of war, right? And oppression. We may not experience the kind of war and oppression in this country at this time of our lives, but we all experience the context of war and oppression. We see it on the news. We see it in Ukraine. Our brothers and sisters in Ukraine are living those days of gloom and distress and darkness just like the nation of Israel did in the 8th century. In fact, back in 2003, there was a journalist named Chris Hedges. I'm not sure what publication he wrote for, but he did a study to determine how much sustained peace earth has experienced in recorded history, obviously we only have a certain time period of recorded history, he reviewed 3,400 years of human history and discovered that there have only been, in those years, 268 years where there have been no wars or conflicts. Ours is an existence of war, of oppression, And the prophet declaring Jesus as the Prince of Peace is speaking directly to this. Right After all, what's the title? It is Prince. He's a son 
who is a father. He is a prince who is a king. And what does it mean that he's a prince? It means that he's endowed with authority. It means that he is born to reign. Make no mistake, this baby came to rule. Of course, this is the, and I was told never to use this word in a sermon in seminary, but I love the word. This is the eschatological hope. The hope for the end of the world. For all of human existence. And this is what the season of Advent is all about, right? Advent means coming. We celebrate His coming. We celebrate His arrival. We celebrate His born in flesh in a manger in Bethlehem. But we also celebrate His coming again. The one we still long for. The one that will establish peace in the universe. Before we leave this passage, just notice the three things that are spoken of here in verse 7. The three things about His rule. First of all, it's limitless expansion. Right? The prophet says of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. Jesus has not just come to be the Prince of Israel. He has not just come to be the Prince of one people. He has become to be the cosmic and complete ruler. Psalm 2, 8, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of earth your possession. That's what the Lord says to His King whom He has installed on His holy hill. Number two, the Davidic dynasty will be fulfilled. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. This was the hope of every son of Abraham. And it comes out of the covenant that was made with David in 2 Samuel 7 where God told David, I will give you rest from your enemies. I will raise up your offspring after you and he will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. We sit here not as physical seed of Abraham but as spiritual seed of Abraham and we rejoice that God has kept His promises and that He has installed His King, the Davidic King, over all the world. And then finally, this rule is extended to every age. What does the prophet say? From this time forth and forevermore. That means that this ruler didn't just come to rule like all previous rulers, to have a lifespan like all previous rulers. No. This ruler comes and changes things at a fundamental level. Let me just read a couple passages from Isaiah 11. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion together A little child is going to lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze together. Their young shall lie down. The lion shall eat straw. The nursing child shall play near the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. And then in Isaiah 2, He shall judge between the nations. 
They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. All the fears and dangers that produce unease, all the conflicts that produce harm and destruction will come to an end. That's what the Prince of Peace will bring. That's what God promises. This final cosmic ruler will make all things right. Never again will there be any sort of uprising. All things will be reconciled. All things. Man to God. Man to man. Man to creature, creature to creature. Can you even imagine? Imagine. Because it's coming. This is the promise of the one that we celebrate today. And frankly, this this is the hope that carries us another day and another year. Without this hope, some mornings I'm not sure I can get out of bed. But this is the hope for you and me. This is the truth of what is coming. And you know what? It's, it's eventually where Henry Longfellow found himself. As he listened to those Christmas bells toll, as he recalled the sounds of cannons and gunfire, the kind that put his son in critical condition here in this hospital, he finished his poem with this stanza. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth He sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Amen. Let's pray. Great Father in heaven, how we praise You for the richness of these titles that we've explored this month that all culminate in this incredible promise that the Prince of Peace has come, has given us peace with You, Father. We can live in peace no matter what is going on around us because of His promised presence. And we can hope. Certainly hope. Not a pie-in-the-sky kind of dream hope, but a certain hope that He will come again. That He will make all things right. How we long for the day of Your return, Lord Jesus. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. And until then, we ask for the grace to get up another day and to remind ourselves of the promises, to remind ourselves of Your presence and to walk in longing and in hope as light in this world of darkness. Oh Father, give us the grace. Spirit, go with us, we ask. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.